This afternoon, we will be looking at the anointing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in connection with that, we will be reading from three passages today. First, Exodus 30, second, Matthew 3, and third, Acts 10. So first of all, we'll be reading from Exodus 30, the verses 22 to 33. And you'll be able to find that on page 97 of your pew Bible. Exodus 30, the verses 22 to 33. The Lord is busy giving Moses directions with regards to worship. And our passage begins in the middle of that. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony." the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils, and the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister to me as priests." And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. We'll now be looking at Matthew chapter 3 beginning at verse 13 and reading to verse 17. This you'll be able to find on page 1113 of your pew Bible. Matthew 3, the verses 13 to 17. And this is within the context of John the Baptist preaching. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And let's now turn together to Acts 10, verses 34 to 43. And I want you to pay special attention to how it is described by Luke, the author of Acts. How this baptism of Jesus is described, the kind of language he uses. Acts 10, verses 34 to 43. You'll be able to find that on page 1266. 
Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. So far the word of God. We'll now turn together to Lord's Day 12 from the Heidelberg Catechism. In this part of the Catechism, we've been looking at the, the work of God the Son with regards to our redemption. How he has redeemed us, saving us from our sins. And you'll be able to find Lord's Day 12 on page 527 of your book of praise. Why is he called Christ that is anointed? Because he has born, been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. Our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Why are you called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing so that I may as prophet confess his name as priest, present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, just now we read about the baptism of Jesus Christ in Matthew 3. In the parallel account of this, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, it's shortly followed by this description. Jesus declares to the people, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's quoting from Isaiah 61 here. He says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. I am that man, he was saying, who was prophesied about by the prophet Isaiah. 
I have been anointed by my heavenly Father with the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do the work on earth that I'm called to do. And we can see this even in the name that was applied to him. The name Christ. The Greek word Christos means anointed. And it's parallel in Hebrew. Mashiach or Messiah is the same word. The anointed one. But what does that actually mean? Boys and girls in Harvest, you may know a little bit about anointing from your time in school, for those of you who have covered it. You may remember your teachers talking about a priest or a prophet taking a decorated horn from a ram or bull or maybe a a flask or some other kind of container. It would be olive oil in there, like you would find in your mom's kitchen, in her cupboard. And it would be mixed with some nice-smelling things. In Exodus 30, we read how it included myrrh, cinnamon, sweet-smelling cane, and cassia, which is a kind of sweet-smelling bark. And then it would be poured over the head of the person who was anointed. To be anointed with this oil was already in the Old Testament a picture of being anointed with the Holy Spirit. God had chosen that person who was being anointed And it was a sign that he was going to give that person the right and the special gifts to do what he had called them to do. But there were only three kinds of people who were ever anointed in the Bible for these special jobs. And these people were prophets, priests, and kings. But while there were kings who prophesied, like King David in writing Psalm 22, and there were prophets who were priests, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, there never was one person who fulfilled all of the roles of prophet, priest, and king until Jesus Christ came along. Jesus Christ was anointed to be our better prophet, our better high priest, and our better king. And so we'll see that under the following theme. Jesus Christ, our anointed Savior, he's anointed as prophet, He's anointed as priest, and finally he's anointed as king. So first of all, we see how Jesus Christ was anointed as our prophet. And to do that, let's take a quick look in our Bibles to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. We read here in... Moses' sermon to the people of Israel, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. He'll raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. That is, a prophet from among your brothers. He's going to be an Israelite just like you. But what actually was the task of such a person? Well, part of the job of a prophet was to tell God's people what God had to say to them about the future. But it's because of the fact that they're speaking about the future gets so much attention that we sometimes lose sight of why they were speaking about the future. They were speaking about what was going to happen because they were given the job of teaching and encouraging and warning the people of God. 
But most importantly, their task was meant to get the people to look to God for their salvation. Now, how does this apply to Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, being raised up as a prophet, took these very same tasks upon himself. We see this most especially in the way he speaks about himself in John 1 verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is from the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So Jesus Christ made who the Father is known to us. He made God's relation to us, God's view of sin and the true and full requirement of God's payment for sin more fully known. But more than that, we read in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So what does that mean? That means that Jesus Christ as prophet not only reveal to us the wisdom of God's will with regards to our lives and showed us how our sin is paid for, but he was and he is what he declared. By declaring who the Father was and telling us about the way to the Father, he was speaking wisdom. But... By telling us these things, Jesus was also declaring or making known who he himself was. And so he became wisdom from God. Through him we become wise to salvation. And because of his wisdom in being the one who showed the plan, and the one who was that plan of salvation, he became the fulfillment of what Moses prophesied. The prophet who would be raised up from among their brothers. The prophet who would make known the will of God. In short, as our catechism says, by speaking about himself, Christ has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. So, what does this mean for us today? Well, have you ever thought about the fact that you are named a Christian? Of course, the name was given by pagans and meant to be an insult. You can see more about that in Acts 11, verse 26. But that didn't stop Christians from wholeheartedly embracing it. Just like Christ means to be anointed, the name Christian points to the fact that we too share in that anointing. And that's why they so eagerly took it on. As followers of Christ, we are members of his body. And this means that When Christ is anointed as prophet, we too share in that anointing as prophet. And that also means we share in the role as prophet. Does this mean we tell the future? No, those special gifts are more of a thing of the past. But what we do is what Jesus Christ did. We make his name known among the people. And we share with them what it means that Jesus Christ came to earth. That Jesus Christ not only came as prophet to speak wisdom, but to be wisdom from God. We share with them that repentance and trust in Jesus Christ means we have salvation. 
under the banner of Jesus Christ, as people who have their only allegiance being to his kingdom, were redeemed. We live in the salvation that Jesus Christ first proclaimed and then bought for us with his precious blood. As prophets, we're called to confess his name in this world and to call those around us, inside and outside the church, to repentance. And we don't only do this through what we say, but also through what we do. If we confess the name of Jesus before men, we know from Matthew 10, verse 32, that he has declared he will also confess that we are his before his Father in heaven. And this all the more spurs us on because in living as members of him, we declare to everybody whose we are. This brings us to our second point, anointed as priest. So we've seen Jesus Christ as the prophet who has prophesied to come. We've seen how he comes down to earth as wisdom from God. He was the better Moses. But what about his priesthood? How is he the better priest? For this, we can take a look at a second Old Testament connection from Psalm 110. Psalm 110 verse 4. We sang about this earlier this afternoon. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This psalm is another example of King David's acting as a prophet. Because it's in this psalm that it speaks about someone who is coming in the future. But this isn't just any priest who is coming. This is someone to whom the Lord will swear an oath that he will be a priest forever. His priesthood will last into eternity. And he is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. But why is that important, that he's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek? That's important because Melchizedek didn't have an inherited priesthood. Every other priest in the Bible was a descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses. They were priests because their father was a priest, and his father was a priest, and his father was a priest in the temple all the way back to Aaron. But Melchizedek was unique. He simply appears in the life of Abraham in Genesis. He appears in the life of this father of the nation of Israel, and he just as quickly disappears. He's a somewhat mysterious figure whose priesthood did not come from man or from being descended from priests, but he is a God-appointed priest. More than that, there were terms and limits set on Israelite priesthoods. They were required to retire at a certain age, but that was not the case with Melchizedek. And it is according to this priesthood that Jesus himself is considered a high priest. Not because he made himself a high priest or because he inherited it, but because God, in anointing him, God made him a high priest. So let's turn to Hebrews to see how this is applied. 
Hebrews chapter 5, the verses 5 to 10. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 to 10. You'll be able to see that on page 1376. We read there, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then, We read, who in the days of his flesh, referring back to Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. So what is being said here is the fact that he suffered. This allowed him in verse 9 to become the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This isn't just a one-time thing. This wasn't just for people who lived in his era. But because he's named a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, his high priesthood is without end, which means he's a better high priest than any of the high priests which came before. This means that we today can take advantage of the very same promises that the people in the New Testament were able to take hold of, having all of our sins washed away by the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That one sacrifice which he offered, his own life, which he offered as atonement for all of our sins as our high priest. And that also means that the Holy Spirit sent from Christ to work in those whom he sacrificed himself for lives in us. Because in dying for us, he also bought that right for the Spirit to work in our lives, for the Spirit to continue to transform us daily. And if that Holy Spirit does live in us, then our lives do change because that's what He does. We are anointed with that same Holy Spirit, and that anointing means a daily change. But what does this change look like? The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12 verse 1, That it means we present ourselves daily as living sacrifices of thankfulness to God. That means we, in humility, consider others as better than ourselves. We strive to become servants of those around us, being as Christ to them, and dealing with them in grace in order that God would be glorified. And that final point is important. It's not, first of all, for our benefit or for their benefit, but it's for God's glory because we are offering it up to Him as a sacrifice of praise. It means letting go of our own desires and our wants and our own egos so that we can serve those around us in love to the glory of God. Our our bodies, our lives are offered up as a living sacrifice in that way. We are called to recognize, as the theologian Abraham Kuyper once famously said, there's not one square centimeter in this world over which Christ does not say, mine. 
We must fear the Lord, and we're called to walk in His ways. We love Him and serve Him and offer our whole beings to Him. And that is our task as priests in the kingdom of God, but as priests who have already had all of their sins paid for by the one sacrifice of our only high priest. And that brings us to the third anointing. Finally, we come to the office of king. The office of king was actually something that God hadn't wanted for his people right away. God knew his people would want a king eventually, so he put laws in place for it, but he wanted his people to recognize him as king first and foremost. In the end, when they did ask for an earthly king, God gave them one to lead the people in justice and righteousness, serving their God. We read in 1 Samuel 10 verse 1, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? In this way, the Lord made a third office, which was symbolized by anointing. Saul was the first earthly king of Israel, and he served the people. He did it well at first, but eventually he left the Lord. The power that he received made him think that he could get away with things that he simply couldn't. In fact, the truth of the matter was that he was held to a greater level of accountability because he was a king, representing God's rule on earth. When a king abused this position of representing God's rule, that king was greatly sinning against God. But where earthly kings failed... And we did see them fail, one after another after another. Where earthly kings failed, Jesus Christ was anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the more perfect king. When he was perfectly obedient on earth to the will of his Father in heaven, to whom he had freely subjected himself for this time, he was living the perfect life that we ought to live. By his sacrifice on the cross, he made it possible for that perfect life to be ours in two ways. First, sacrificing himself as our king, he made it possible that we, as his subjects, are able to enjoy the immediate pleasure of God by having Christ's right living applied to us. He looks at Jesus Christ as our king, and he sees us as his subjects. He sees us as being in the same sphere of which he looks at, at uh, Jesus Christ, his son. And so we share the same benefits that are applied to Jesus Christ, our royal king. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 verse 1 that if we believe in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. And even though we have a lifetime of sin behind us, we are declared righteous. So that's the first thing that he made it possible for us to enjoy as our king. But there's a second thing. As our king, the chains to our slavery to sin are broken, and we are subjects of him. We are given the power and motivation to life under the kingship of Jesus Christ as kings ourselves. And so that declaration of righteousness doesn't just stay on paper, but it springs to life in our everyday walk. 
We're not servants to sin, bound by the whims of our lusts and desires. It may seem that we are slaves sometimes, but that's not true. That's the devil meaning to get us to give up. But we are given the strength in Christ to keep fighting against our sins, slowly being perfected and renewed each and every day. It may seem impossibly slow sometimes and battles may be lost, but the most important battle that decided the outcome of the war was already won by our king. And so, we are continually being perfected until we finally obtain the complete victory in Christ at the end of days. But we don't live this new life in a vacuum. It's not like Jesus Christ rules and then suddenly we immediately know how to live. As king, Jesus Christ governs us, as our catechism says, by his word and by his spirit. To know God's will, we look to the Bible which the Holy Spirit then applies to our lives and gives us the strength to follow. And this ought to encourage us to look to the Bible more and more every day. This is a point of encouragement for all of us, beloved, both you and me. Don't expect to have changes in your life without spending any time in God's Word. And if you are spending time in God's Word, take a moment to examine how you're doing so. Are you reading it as the way that Christ governs you in this world? Boys and girls, this is true for you too. Are you just taking it as someone who who talks to you and then you're done with the conversation and then you walk away? Or do you listen to how Jesus Christ speaks to you, to your life, through the Bible? Because it's in this His word that we are equipped every day. It's in his word that we are trained and that we are directed. And it's when we see what God wants of us in his word that his spirit works through us that we more and more want to follow what he sees in his word. In fact, without his Holy Spirit, we wouldn't be able to do that at all. But with his Holy Spirit, we can follow him. And it's because of this that daily, in reading his word and submitting ourselves to his word, we are equipped to rule with him eternally over the kingdom prepared for us to rule, as promised in Matthew 25, verse 34. This can feel difficult at times. We know that our consciences are not always free from sin. We struggle in the way that we relate to God and with the way that we treat others in our lives. But there is hope. Because we are not just anointed and left on our own, but we are joined to Christ in his anointing. We have been set free. We have been forgiven. And we're given the tools, the community, and the power of the Spirit for that daily fight, for that daily struggle. And it's in the context, in this context, that the Apostle Peter is able to write in his first letter, chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, you are a chosen generation. This is you. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. You who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. In Christ, you are a new people. In Christ, the better prophet, the better high priest, and the better king, you also will live and continue to grow in this anointing by the power of the Spirit to the tasks of prophet, priest, and king. So, beloved, let us live with our tongues confessing his name, calling those around us from darkness to light. Let us match those words with our lives, presenting ourselves as living sacrifices out of thankfulness from our Savior who has, anointed, who has been anointed and obtained all this for us. And let us not blaspheme because of our walk of life. And let us fight against the sin and the devil with a free and good conscience. Not because we ourselves are good, but because we have been made new in Christ. And in the power of our Savior, let us fight with courage the remaining battles of a war that's already been won. Looking to him who has won that most preeminent of battles and won the victory for us. Amen.